0: Hi, this is Jack. This week we have another of our special episodes of the UCAP podcast. Now there's two ways you can look at this. Either it's us letting you peek behind the curtain and hear what it's like when Jeb and Dave and I let down our hair and just talk about whatever is on our minds. Or it could just be that I'm too lazy this week to do all the fancy production stuff. You be the judge. Enjoy. All right, all right. Good crowd, good crowd. Hey, the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as private individuals. Yeah, their comments don't necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on
1: aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and... Fly
2: that aircraft!
0: What's what? happening? It's me again. You again? Well, did we just do this? We did, did, we, did we too. This is a bad habit we're getting into here. People are gonna start talking. Yeah, another another. Only four days later. Oh, here we go. Listen.
1: Hello. How are
0: we? I wanted to hear singing. I thought I was expecting to hear singing. Oh no! we, there we she
1: was, her. just walking down the street singing. <clears throat> Why Isn't that you the song
0: they used in one of my favorite goofball movies? What was the Bill Murray movie where he was in the military? Remember? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Stripes. 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 And didn't they sing mm. that song when they were doing the drill marching sequence at the
2: end, I think? At I think. one at one point, yeah. 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 Yeah, I've got that dVt I'm sure you're not surprised to learn. Do you really? Oh,
1: yeah. I didn't know you were such a military movie fan.
0: (laughs)
2: just just an early Bill Murray fan.
0: Yeah. So Uh, uh, maybe we should watch uh, it when we come down there. That's why we'll have our... uh, Okay, we can do that. That'll be part (laughs) of the slumber party as we'll watch Stripes. Speaking of DVDs we could watch while I'm down there, you know what what Jeff Ward put into my hands? Jeff Ward put into my hands a DVD uh, from the... uh, AMA. What's AMA? It's the uh, Academy of Model Aeronautics. Uh, it's a, a model, you know, RC aircraft organization that do videos. I was
1: worried there for a second.
0: This is a, a video. It's a little documentary about the development of the history of private jets in America. And who, who do you think is one of the experts interviewed uh, on this, on this, uh, in this documentary? Is none, none other than Dave Higdon. Um, oh my. A, a, a shockingly young-looking Dave Higdon. This is what <laughs> this is what struck me. Well, I'm see, sitting here watching this, but
2: um, Jack, Jack, yeah. with Dave, everything is relative.
0: Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. I'm watching this thing, you know, and I'm waiting for him. You know, when's Dave going to pop out? Because I'm just like sitting here going, Oh my God, Dave's going to pop on the screen any second now. And I'm going, and then suddenly this guy pops on the screen, and I'm suddenly go, Wait a minute, that I think that's Dave. It is Dave. It says David at the hit, bottom hit, hit of the rewind
2: screen. hit rewind <laughs>
0: yeah. it says David at the bottom of the screen.
1: So. the voice sounds familiar, but the face doesn't match how long ago was that David oh my uh, six years yeah, maybe seven well uh, so I have a copy of it i'm debating
0: the uh, I'm debating the uh, uh i don't know the merits or the whatever of uh of Violating some sort of federal law by by digitizing that portion of the video and putting it on the website, and uh, <laughs> I think I think as a as a public service, I, I would be you know kind of granted some sort of waiver.
2: I I, I think that's fair use. Yeah, I think that qualifies. Yeah, embarrassing and we a are friend, not fr- and we and, oh, and we are my. not embarrassing a friend. Right? Yeah.
0: Embarrassing a friend always fair use. That's right.
1: So, oh uh, man, priceless! Wait
2: wait wait, <laughs> wait 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 wait. What what? Uh, never mind. It's twist off. <laughs> so what's going, what's going on out
1: there these days uh we convinced jack and phil's wife all at the same time yeah give me that beer
0: what uh oh what was i gonna say um what's going on out there what is going on out there first of all I, all right we're gonna talk about weather for two minutes
1: here uh how badly hey, beautiful did it snow, beautiful, david?
0: Be- beautiful day here yeah right how badly did it snow david
1: we got uh, between seven and eight inches on the ground here at my house. Uh, I heard way more uh, than that. Okay. That's well, a few miles—that's that, at my house. Uh, you didn't have to go into double-digit miles to get into double-digit snow depths, and uh, within 30 miles of here, they had in excess of two feet. Yeah,
0: that's what I read about in in early well late March, almost April. I mean,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it it was a big it was a a, a big ass storm. Yeah. Uh when all was said and done. So uh, uh we 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 feel fortunate. It it was like late spring, balmy days, vegetation starting to bloom. On Wednesday, by Friday we had ice and freezing rain and snow on the ground. And by Sunday it was back into the 50s. Uh, by monday morning the snow was gone we went from spring to major winter blizzard and back to spring in 96 hours it was truly remarkable really really you know we were
2: talking of about- make you- go ahead, go ahead. Jeb. no you go Jeb. i was just going to say kind of makes you wonder who they pissed off yeah i know I, well you know- we've
1: been we've been paying into this hole uh all year because we had an uncharacteristically uh, moderate January and February. Oh, uh, I see. Okay. And it's been my expectation all, you know, all winter that mother nature would rebalance the scale here, some reorient the gyro at some point before yeah. we got to the sun and fun.
0: We were talking about uh, this is probably the last chance we'll get to talk about snow and airports hopefully knock on wood um, until next year. But <laughs> You know, we were talking about we were talking about getting the runways plowed in in IFR school uh, one week recently, and it sort of got me. to, I mean, I don't know what I thought. I just you know, it's like the streets, right? A snowplow comes and clears the runway, and that's fine, and you know, and uh, but apparently it's more complicated than that. And uh, how does how does it work? I don't have an awful lot of what, experience. What size airport?
2: What, what size airport are we talking?
0: You no, know, like you know, your 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 you know, small but active municipal airport, a GA airport, you know. Uh, <clears throat> you know, because we were talking well, a lot s- about pre-flight 16- planning and how you have to make sure you should call ahead to see whether the runways are, you know, because if you're going to, oh yeah,
1: man, so- because you, you, not all airports have happen to have a truck with a plow sitting around waiting for snow to come. Yeah, uh, our instructor you know, was telling a lot of a lot of airports that the snow is not frequent enough or bad enough for the uh, operators, you know, whether they're municipality or private, to justify that kind of equipment. Yeah. Uh, I know airports well, that are 6,000 feet long that don't have that kind of equipment standing by. Uh, but I also know some that have a priority uh, with the uh, local road crew that's accessible to them. And when it starts to get plowed out in the real world on the highways adjacent to this, these airports, the airports start getting plowed because they're that busy and they. You know, they have that much traffic coming and going. they got the ILSs and the GPS approaches. And, you know, it's just a a policy, a smart policy for the operator to try to keep them open.
2: Here's one thing, though, too. Any airport with an instrument approach uh, is going to be in the NOTAM system. And uh, if you check the right NOTAM section, Mm -hmm. you will instantly learn on your preflight. Uh, If any airports have reported closed runways, closed taxiways, or other issues, Um, for those airports for which there isn't an instrument approach, they still may be in the VFR uh, NOTAM system. Regardless, picking up the phone and calling the airport manager's office and saying, dude, you know, what's going on? Um, Or the FBO uh, to find out, you know, what the conditions are. We're, We're talking, you know if there's imminent uh, snow on the ground or or just some snowstorm had just gone through um kind of kind of makes you wonder though also if if there's that much weather uh whether we should be flying at all
0: yeah the instructor told a couple of interesting stories about snow and and runways um one had to do with an airport that he said um and so apparently this is an this is an example of an airport that the runways are plowed by city equipment all right town equipment And the way he he tells the story, the town doesn't particularly love the airport, all right? But they do love the fact that there's a FedEx delivery every morning, all right? And and so he said... There you go. He said he knew from experience that uh, when it was snowing, they would get the runway plowed at quarter to six every morning because the FedEx, I don't know, I envisioned it being a caravan, but whatever aircraft it was, was going to land at six o'clock. So they got the runway plowed so the FedEx flight could come in and and but then they probably wouldn't plow it again f- the rest you know for a while all right and uh, and uh, he just kind of told the story about how he was supposed to go there one time and was uncertain and couldn't get him on the telephone and couldn't get any information but from experience he knew that it was the middle of the afternoon and he felt he felt like it was unlikely that uh, this runway would have been plowed by these people at this time of day so that, that was kind of interesting i thought i don't know um the other story he told was uh he re- we he reviewed an accident report of an airplane that landed on a partially plowed runway. And and I guess yeah. this is another thing I wasn't familiar with, the, the idea that they might not plow the full width of the runway, all right, that you might only get. Oh, yeah. You might only get the, the,
2: the, the uh, a municipal um, uh, city maintenance department, Yeah, they're not going to plow the full length of the runway. They might make two blade-width passes down on average yeah. uh, and find you a way to get to the ramp, the uh, taxiway. And that would be about it until they got you know like the mayor 's house done and stuff like that yeah. uh, they 'd eventually get back to you, uh, especially if someone on the airport board called complained yeah. but well, uh, there 's an,
1: another issue that comes up sometimes, even when the runway is 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 cleared well enough to use, and there 's a path to and from the ramp, and that 's if you were lucky enough to have a, a ramp manager be an old high school buddy. And when the snowstorm approaches, sticks you in a nice, toasty, dry hangar. Yeah. And then the storm comes, and the storm produces so much snow that all that, all that stuff coming off the runways and the ramps and the taxiways got to go someplace. So guess where a lot of it goes? In front of the hangars that they don't really expect to have to open for a few days. Oh, and right. It, it took like a day and a half them to get around to plowing out the door to a hangar I was in a few years ago uh out in Indiana uh which was okay there was
2: a, a day and a half that's way. all I didn't
1: want to go. just to just to get this one hangar cleared yeah 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 and my I, big problem I'm sure it, it got accelerated along by the fact that there was a 90 series king air behind me that uh the day that they got it cleared suddenly had to make a trip
0: yeah David, when you had your yeah. Comanche, did you keep it in a hangar in the winter? Or I mean,
1: well, when we had Comanche and the Cherokee before that, yeah, we were lucky enough to inherit a hangar when we bought the Cherokee. It was hangered, and the airport folks were nice enough to just let the seller sign over his lease to us. Yeah,
0: that's the other so, thing I think
1: about. The it, hangar, all in one fell swoop.
0: That's the other thing I, I kind of marvel about in snow is, is I drive by these these airports and see these airplanes on tie downs all winter long, and you know, and, uh, wonder whether they even get used in the winter time. And you know, you talk about icing and you know, airframe snow, and
1: you got to be pretty well, careful. The hangar, the hangars that we had out at Augusta Municipal, three alpha uniform, uh, were really nice and dry. Uh, full concrete floor. They were 40 feet, 6 inches wide uh, and about t- uh, 30 feet deep. Uh, you know, nice corrugated steel T-hangers. The problem was that they were on these – the doors were on these rollers, overhead rollers and lower rollers to keep them from flopping back and forth. And there was weight shared on both of them. And the doors faced north, so they got no sunlight. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take long for a little bit of precip to melt, refreeze overnight, and boom, now you're looking at calling ahead about six hours to get them a chance to chip out the tracks on the hangar doors mm. yeah. so that then they can pull them open with a tug.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, my hangar at in, um, in Manassas, the one I uh, most recently had at Manassas, faced north also. And Dave's exactly right. I had uh, black asphalt. Out in front of the hangar, and during the day, it would uh, all the melt, oh, and there would be snow falling off the roof and stuff. And uh, even though they would have plowed the, the entire uh, ramp and taxiway area around the hangar, this is stuff that you know just you know materialized. There would be a sheet of ice under all of this, and there's a slight incline. Yeah, and uh, there was one occasion uh, getting it out wasn't a huge deal. Getting it back in. Uh, was a deal, mm. and there was one occasion um, I had the I had the FBO do it, and uh, it, it's it's interesting to watch your airplane slide sideways a few inches as someone tries to wheel it into the, <laughs> yeah. into the hangar. But I just I just kind of walked away and stood back and said, "Hey, it's insured, you know, um, <laughs> you know, we, and, uh, and you are too." So you know, I'm not going to help. I'm not going to hinder.
1: Yeah. uh, When we upgraded from the uh, uh, little Cherokee 140 to Air Comanche, uh, you know, we didn't really think about changing hangers. And we went from uh, right at 40-foot width on a 30-foot wingspan to a 36-foot and change wingspan. Mm -hmm. And then we put aftermarket tips on that added about another 18 inches total. Ouch! And we'd only been going in and out of there with the new tips for about two or three trips. When the airport manager called me one day and said, how would you like a bigger hangar? Hmm. <laughs> well, they that's had a 42-foot yeah. come open. And the airplane that was going to go in there was, you know, a Cherokee or a Sky, Hawk or something, you know, 30, 30 to 35-foot. Wasn't going to be tight. And the, the guys operating the tug that pulled me out and put me away most of the time that I flew, uh, they were beginning to have a little trouble uh, at night in particular maneuvering to get what was, I think, 37.4 with the new tips in a, uh, a hangar that was supposed to be 40 foot wide. Mm-hmm. So the margin of error was down to just a shade over a foot on each side. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I so think they, they offered to move everything. We went over to a new hangar, and it was much easier to get everything in and out of, and walk in and walk around a tip and all that, which was impossible on the other one, basically. But there was a slight change in the pooling level at the hangar door tracks at the bottom, and it took them twice as much time to chip the ice out of those to get, to get it out, and we were coming and going, you know. Six or seven times every winter uh, The only time they weren't able to get me out when, when I asked or when they promised Was when the storm lifted One of the doors completely off the tracks And it fell down <laughs> And the other one was partially off the track And couldn't be moved until they got a Cherry picker in to lift everything back into place So
2: My, my favorite uh, episode I couldn't get the airplane out of the hangar uh, was the opposite end of the year. It was like, uh, I think it was 4th of July weekend. And um, I was flying two women down to uh, Charleston, uh, South Carolina. And um, got there. The passengers arrived. I couldn't get in the hangar because the power was out.
0: Oh, sorry.
2: I mean, I, I could get, I'm sorry. I could get in the hangar fine. I couldn't raise the you couldn't roll the up door. the door. Yeah. I couldn't raise the door to get the airplane out. Yeah. And uh, that was about a 30, 45-minute delay until the power came back on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've always been a was, two schools to about hangers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Can you not – is there no manual override to these, these?
2: It wasn't on this hanger door, on mine. Yeah. Um, and Most it of them been, don't
1: have a hand crank, no.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, though. A hand crank on, on, on that door, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to crank it. You know, uh-huh. it would have Somebody been a lot.
1: Else, you would have been, yeah, been cranking for, for a long, long time, man. <laughs> I see, okay. Yeah. Oh,
0: well, anyways, this winter stuff it just reinforces yeah, what I I've always said. You know, winter. I mean, I rest my case. Who needs winter? What a what a big mess. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The hangar I've got now, if the electricity went out, the only way you can get the airplane out would be with a blowtorch.
0: Yeah, really. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, every time, every time we do. Every time we do one of these uh one of these kind of free forum you know no you know episodes uh where uh I get email later on from people who say, "Oh, you forgot to do the intro and they don't realize that that was the whole point was to not do it. so I'm just going to quickly say uncontrolled airspace podcast uh episode one twenty eight uh tuesday march thirty first uh that's Deb, jeb that's dave I'm jack here we are what else is going
1: on here we are, what are we, uh, we are because we think we are, yeah,
2: so what well, else do you want some to talk of about? us? Some of us are husbands.
1: Oh, wait a minute! Is that I think, <laughs> where I, think I am,
2: <laughs> David? You qualify I, I also, yeah.
0: <laughs> David. You showed us. You pointed us to this uh, story about this new LSA cub-like aircraft. That's uh, I did. I, did, I, did, I have nice. mixed feelings about this airplane. But uh, tell us what? Tell us. I looked at. I looked at the description very briefly. But tell me what it's all about. What? What? Who is it, and how big is it, and 180 what, horsepower? What,
1: what, what? What it, what's it all about, Jackie? Yeah. Was that a, no? That was a movie type. No, the different movie. Different movie. Well, uh, I'm trying to fish back the guy's name. Uh, he was on the uh, panel with us at uh, Potapalooza too. The first time that we were on there, uh-huh. uh, Jim Jiminy. What the hell's his name? Uh, He's got this company out in uh, uh, Yakima, Washington, called Cub Crafters. Mm -hmm. And Cub Crafters got started rebuilding Super Cubs, basically. And then they got in the business of building a duplicate of the Super Cub. And now they make one of the, I'm not sure, three, maybe four uh, Cub resurrections that are light sport aircraft qualified. And they call this new one the Super Sport Cub. It's a 180 horsepower for takeoff comp- and climb but its continuous rating is a maximum of 80 horsepower at
2: 12,000 <laughs> Yeah, okay. See, so okay. What, is, what engine what engine does this have?
1: Uh it is a new engine that apparently is their own in partnership with ECI. They call oh, okay. the engine the CC340. Never in partnership never with EC- ECI, they've created a four-cylinder, inline, yeah. air-cooled engine, no, no. and it's ASTM compliant.
2: Never, never put your lot never bet your life on version 1.0 of anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but now, wait a minute. So how do they
2: do I'm how do, sorry.
0: How, an, air, an engine that's 180 power and 180 horse on takeoff, but 80 at cruise. How do, is that? They just have arbitrary RPM limitations, or how does this work?
2: Um, uh, that or manifold pressure and RPM or fuel flow or, you know, some other metric. Um, but basically that's to keep it below 120 knots, I, I'm fairly right. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's um, yeah a, If it can legitimately here. do um, 180 horsepower on takeoff, fooey. Um, I'm thinking um, you go fast,
0: and, and it's a relatively small airplane. I'm thinking you cruise faster yeah. than 120 yeah. knots. yeah. yeah.
2: So I know what a supercub will do, and that's basically a super cub.
1: Well, and it's a uh, highly refined version here. I mean, yes. Uh, the yes. wing has been changed. The fuselage has been changed. The cowl is dramatically different.
2: Where's uh, the fuel tank?
1: It looks like fuel it's in tank's each wing. In,
2: it looks like it's in each wing. I agree. Yeah. I agree.
1: Yeah. And uh, uh, they're saying five to six gallons an hour. While enabling i 'm quoting here from their release the newest cub to loaf along at a cruise speed of one hundred and twenty miles an hour about one hundred and you know fourteen about one hundred and four hundred and five open a throttle and you can see one hundred and thirty eight miles per hour, putting the supersport cub at the top of the LSA speed limit uh, I, I have no reason to uh, you know, based on the the weight, the wing, the horsepower and and the numbers to really see anything that defies credibility here. Jim uh, Richmond. Jim Richmond. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Good Lord! Short Look at that guy. thing
0: take off! Wow! There's a video on their web on the website here, and it shows. Yeah, and they're it talking shows about a
1: hundred foot takeoff roll.
0: Yeah, and and then it, and then it climbs at almost a forty five. Well, not quite a forty five, but like a thirty <laughs> degree angle. I mean, it just goes goes up. It it, it levitates. That's pretty impressive. That's that's cool.
1: That's yeah. cool. Yeah, and now the uh, uh, the hook on this is the uh, decidedly non standard LSA price, even for.
0: Right, that's one the hyper- of the two things: no, what, what is Talk to me, what's the price on this?
1: 100, 163280
2: dollars.: um, I, I see it now.: Yikes! that's yeah, sorry. I can I can buy I can buy two bonanzas like my airplane or close to my airplane, or uh, maybe two and a half Comanches, or maybe oh, just two Comanches yeah for that yeah, kind of money.
1: I will tell you what I could come back with two two fifties and two one eighties on that money right, <laughs> right. Now. and I'll raise right. you a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay I'm, that's based on listings that I've cherry picked over the last week yeah. uh, right but it, all my Comanches but, uh, still, and all your it's, put it's, together yeah. will not do what this puppy does
2: I, I understand that and that's that, that that is a big argument in its favor. Uh, but I'm wondering, and although that looks like a wonderful airplane, I'm wondering if there might be some less expensive solutions to the same problem.
1: Uh, I have no, no, no doubts there. My other yeah. issue with this some airplane less is… Less expensive solutions to this kind of airplane, but I'm not sure that they come close to the overall performance envelope of this. Yeah. Just because of the limitations of physics and horsepower, weight, drag, and airfoil, okay, none of those airplanes are 180 horsepower at LSA weight, which is going to have a huge influence on your climb rate and your takeoff roll more than anything. Yeah. Yeah,
0: my other issue with this airplane um, is once again it's an LSA with almost completely glass panel, which just kind of seems contrary to me.
2: There's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something wrong with that, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it's like it's like a cub. You look, they show pictures of the of the panel, and it's like clearly yeah. a cub with this you know fighter with a, pilot with a panel four ninety six and, I,
2: I, and, and uh, yeah
1: yeah. So, so and probably six a, a section Oh, definitely got a motorizer. Definitely got a transponder. I can't
2: definitely got a transponder.
1: Yes, but uh, you know, my only question is: okay, where can I put one of the LSA compatible autopilots? Because I want that puppy in there too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like a fun airplane to fly, but it's it's really I can't. It
1: does, and it's sharp. And if I can talk my way into one in Lakeland. one of the some of the best times I've had flying have been in airplanes that had ridiculous amounts of horsepower for the weight, and a big, fat, low-speed airfoil to just you know take your breath away. Mm-hmm. You never you never raise the tail on the tailwheel versions of the airplanes. You know you hold the stick back, and in in about three and a half to five seconds, the the the, the main gear lift off, and the nose wheel follows. Yeah, I mean the uh, the tail wheel follows. Yeah.
0: It's got airbags. It's, it's got crash airbags. I'm sorry. I'm watching this the video that's on their on their website, and suddenly they show a a, a, a cross section of a test, you know, crash test dummy kind of test. It's got airbags.
1: That 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 may be on one of their airplanes. You know, I, haven't I was seen it in here. So I was at the airport yeah. the other day,
0: and we were hanging out in the hangar in between, you know, during breaks during IFR school, and uh, and we were admiring the uh, the valor that they've got there at Southern Maine, and. And we were just talking, and I was and I was more familiar with it than the guy I was standing there with, and so I was kind of sort of giving him a tour, and uh, and he says, "How much does it cost?" You know, and I said, "I think it's like around a hundred thousand dollars," and he kind of, his eyes went wide, you know, and I'm, and and I'm saying, "Yeah, that's the, kind of the price point um, for a lot of these LSAs," and we got to talking about why that might be and whether it's a good thing, and I, you know, I and and I mean, tell me what you think, I because I think that's too high for an airplane that's supposed to be entry level for
2: all these sport pilots. Um, I, 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 well, I um, I've had a the problem. dollar the dollar amount involved. Yes, that's that's not an entry level airplane for a sport pilot. That's no, it's a not. that's a that's a toy airplane for um, he, someone who's he wants to retire flying airplanes.
0: And that's what I that's yeah. and that retire was the point I was making. To this air- guy is that is that a lot of LSA these days is is older guys older people um, who fear losing their medical and are and want to keep flying, which.
1: You know. Well, and, and something else to remember here, guys. And I'm in the same boat. You know, I'm, 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 got my eyes seriously on a couple of airplanes right now, none of which approach the price of some of these LSAs. My mission's different. My qualifications are already past what I need. Uh, time will come when maybe an LSA is my la- is 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 my preferred option. But right now, but you got to remember, there's precious little in some of these price ranges that you can buy brand new carry two people and go 100 and you know 115 118 knots yeah, uh, yeah there's nothing out there there's nothing out there that will do it at the fuel flows of most of these airplanes uh and the closest you're going to find to it in most of these airplanes is a uh well how when did they stop building 152s
2: mm-hmm. uh like 83 84
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been some attempts at the two-place market. Uh, uh, Liberty is, you know, trying to eke it out. Uh, AMD with their uh, CH2000 two-seat trainer, uh, they've been trying to eke it out. But none of them have caught on quite to the degree of some of these LSAs. I mean, gee, the biggest selling LSA right now is the Flight Design CT line. And they're literally outselling everybody else in the LSA category put together, and you're talking, you know, uh, above a hundred thousand dollars there. But that's a yeah. highly capable, very roomy, uh, very sharp flying little airplane. Right.
0: Now, what about an LSA that is for a true entry? What's the cheapest LSA out there that's a bona fide reasonable airplane?
1: I would put, I, I would, I would say Chuck's Lasargues Hawk. He has, he has an, he has an ASTM approved version of the hawk uh-huh. uh LSA qualified two place uh I don't want to misquote here but I believe his introductory price on it was about $40,000. Well,
2: see that's yeah. more like it. I guess yeah. it's still kind of pricey. Dave, let case. me ask you. Um
1: I that's I read something, cabin airplane too. Right.
2: Yeah. I read something recently where Chuck um is selling out.
1: I have heard you, something you about see? that.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't. I read something somewhere that he had posted on um, his type club's uh, um, website or forum or whatever that um, he was looking for a buyer. I something. Like
1: that. I, I can't confess. I, I can't you know feign surprise here. Chuck's struggled to eke out a, a living for himself and a handful of employees for. Well, let's see, he introduced the Hawk in 82, and it won Best New Ultralight Design at Sun and Fun uh, and just got off to a roaring start because he was right there at the cutting edge of Far 103 ultralights that actually had wheels that were actually designed to be miniature lightweight airplanes rather than something morphed out of a hang glider. Uh, right. When the heyday passed, I guess we're talking 20 years to, to you know that he's been... Scratching it out. And continuous quality improvement, finding better ways to do the airplane, little incremental uh improvements. Uh they're just to get and he's a he's a trained engineer, he's a degreed engineer, he's worked for NASA. Uh the airplane is probably one of the most straightforward, well thought out, well engineered little airplanes you're ever gonna come across. Yeah. So yeah, you know it's but that's what was available when he announced that he'd got the uh, ASTM. He'd met ASTM compliance on, on a version of his hawk. Uh, there are a couple of others that are in the 45000 to $50,000 range and a handful of others that are under $100,000, uh, a couple of them from Rants. Uh, And and these are basically LSA-compliant versions of designs they've been building for a couple of decades, really well-established, well-proven little airplanes, and they've got their all-metal one. So, you know, you can find something at just about every price point uh, that, you know, I would say is reasonable to expect to find on a brand-new aircraft.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, moving on here. For, um, uh, as an aside, David, can you adjust your microphone? I don't know what's going on here, but you're uh, up and down all over the place in terms of volume and sound quality here. I,
2: I thought it was on my end, and I wasn't going to say anything. No, I've no. got a pretty lousy connection tonight.
0: Yeah, no, You sound good to me, Jeb, but daves it's typical of the problem we've had in the past. Say something, Dave. Something, Dave. That's way better, whatever you did. Let's see if we can keep that up. Um, again, it sounded like it might have been scratching against your face and that problem we have with the volume. <laughs>
1: well, that might have been. I haven't looked at how long my mustache is lately. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> that sounds way better. All right. Continuing. What, so what else is on the list here? Uh, pick something.
1: We're going by a list? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Did, don't pick did you guys else.
2: What do you want to talk about? Did you guys, did you guys see the link I put up here to these World War II images?
0: You know, those are cool yeah. pictures. Are those real color pictures, or are they colorized? Those,
2: is those as far as I... I can't read this Italian. Yeah, there's that. Uh, the only thing I can read is where it says Kodachrome 4X5. Oh, okay. Then maybe they are real okay. color pictures. So uh, maybe... I think they are um, uh, contemporaneous um, color pictures. Uh, and they are just amazing. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Yeah, the they clarity, really are. the detail, um the the composition is just excellent. Seeing this assembly line mm-hmm. of of rows and rows of of B25s. Yeah. That's just amazing. And the women working on them, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean we've seen uh, these images before. We've seen them in kind of grainy black and white and yeah. Uh, yeah. to see this in in uh, full color, very very high quality uh detailed images. It's very very cool. Um yeah. We're, this is uh, what is this? This is freeforumzone.leonardo.it. Correct. And, and and they're posted this is a forum of some sort, a discussion uh-huh. forum because these are posted as part of a uh, a p- forum posting. We should get Luca on here and uh, to uh, uh-huh. to one of our uh, uh listeners who's active in the forums. He'll he'll check in and and translate for us here and uh um did you look at
2: um, the the single engine fighter below. Uh,
0: the one of yeah of it fighting the shot from above.
2: Well, the the, the if you after you scroll past the B twenty five section, you get into a single engine fighter section. Yeah. Okay, and then the women and uh, um that kind of thing. But that's a P. That's an early P fifty one.
0: Is it really? Yeah, it's a,
2: that's, yeah, like that's a, what it looks like. Yeah, it, it's either a um uh an A or a no a suffix model. Uh huh. Well, did you
1: know that the first couple of models of those were not turbocharged or supercharged? That's right. Uh-huh. You know, they had uh, some some great advantages in load and maneuverability and, and
2: they were great and uh, range, the but they um, Yeah, but they they
1: didn't have altitude capability worth uh, spit. Uh. Now this one, the picture
0: we're looking at, it has sort of a pseudo caption in it, not a caption, but just a label of Sharpie.
2: Whatever. Sharpie. That yeah, is. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's a uh, like the name of the plane or nickname or the pilot or I don't know how that got there yeah. or what it means.
0: Now the um, it has a uh, there, there's some sort of air intake on the top of the uh, the nose just behind the prop. Would would that uh-huh. be for like a turbocharger or that would just be coolant air?
2: I would think that's induction air. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Okay, and the scoop uh, on the belly is uh coolant air. Okay. Okay. And then um, see on the on the later Mustangs that uh inlet was below the spinner.
1: Right. They moved it down. Oh, of course, uh-huh. that's right. That's very distinctive the, on the,
2: a the, cl- on the a, classic yeah. P51D that is below the spinner. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it moved leave. down there on the C model, if I remember correctly. The C model, I believe, is where they finally got uh, uh, the uh, supercharging that right. turned them into such formidable high-altitude aircraft.
2: Oh, was that the Merlin?
1: Well, the early ones were Packards.
2: Packards, yeah.
1: The early ones were Packards, yeah. the A and, I believe, the B model uh, and the uh, the uh, British uh, Royal Air Force was having really great performance out of the rolls royce Merlin and the Spitfire right. Right. and the mosquito and uh, you know the change to uh, that turbocharged uh, rolls royce engine very similar in configuration and and, and so much as the is uh, the Packard engine but uh, mm-hmm. that 's what transformed the the Mustang into that and some airframe pr- air improvements like the change in the scoop, uh, strengthening of the wing spars and the gears to where they could carry uh, a really significant amount of fuel and drop tanks and then still have great legs for getting home after they drop the tanks.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. Well, they, were, they could cruise at very efficient uh, fuel flows. Yeah. Uh, you know, at 30, 25,000, 30,000 feet. Um because of the, the the efficiency of the turbocharger. Um but yeah, uh, and
1: liquid <clears throat> cooling.
2: Yeah.
1: Liquid cooling has a big influence on that too.
0: Thirty thousand feet though. And they those they weren't pressurized, right? No, no. So no. you, you gotta be a, really he, careful, he, right? They, I
2: mean, they, they you weren't You're on oxi- you were on full uh full flow or uh, yeah, full flow oxygen hundred percent of the time. You're wearing an electrically heated suit. Um you weren't freezing, but you weren't comfortable either.
1: What's the I'm altitude gonna say it wasn't warm?
0: <laughs> what's the altitude at which you it's not simply a question of needing oxygen, it's that the you know the atmosphere is actually poisonous, that it's so, you know, you got to like aren't is, haven't i read I don't know about
2: that, poisonous.
1: Well, effectively not know poisonous, poisonous it, it just gets non-sustainable. But I've read stories no, well, about the fact is that, is you that, get, that
0: you have to wear a mask that seals around your face because if it's not completely sealed you yeah. you get yourself jammed up and um, at at a sufficient
2: height. That's what I remember reading. Well, course. here's 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 um, the rule of thumb. Basically, the FAA is not certifying any new aircraft <coughs> without pressurization that um, go above twenty five thousand feet. Hmm. Um, okay. And it, what you really need to look at is the times of, of useful consciousness. Right. Um. And those are measured in single-digit seconds um, above twenty-five thousand feet. Uh, as far as you know, if you're stuck breathing that air at that at that pressure um, at that altitude, you you need to get on a mask immediately.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, That's why an air transport aircraft and s- smartly operated two-crew corporate aircraft. When one of the two crew leaves the flight deck, uh, the remaining crew member is supposed to put on the pressure, the, the, the pressure mask right. that's right. there for the standby system in case there's a sudden decompression. Uh, whoever's left on the flight deck does not have to put on the masks before starting to deal with the emergency. Right, because you've got that exactly. little time to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you can have that little time to deal with it. Remember, some of these aircraft are. Certificated to operate as high as 510. Uh, In the event of a catastrophic decompression at that altitude, you're really talking single-digit seconds there before... Now, you did you see away. this?
0: Did you see the story that was in the news the other day about the baggage handler guy who fell asleep in the cargo? Uh, uh, uh,
2: of, <laughs> I didn't uh, see that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't have this in front of me, but it was on the news the other day about uh, about some guy uh, ended up. Where, found, where, did he, where did he end up? I think I want to say Boston. I don't know if he was <laughs> here. Um, but uh, the story oh, was I, the story wait. was he fell asleep while you know, he was like asleep, literally sleep on the job, and fell asleep in in the, in the Baggage, I guess. All right.
2: Is this St. Patrick's Day?
0: Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's see if we can find this here. Uh, Sleeve, cargo. Well, there's mold. a couple of nice Talk things there. that are working in his favor here. First, you know, baggage compartments on, on those aircraft, airliners, is all part of the pressure vessel. Uh, That may not be as well insulated as the deck upstairs, and it may not get the heated air that the deck upstairs does, but at least it's got pressure. You won't suffocate. Yeah.
0: No, here we go. There's a whole bunch of headlines here. I didn't figure out which one. JetBlue worker nods off, flies to Boston in cargo hold. That's the headline. Uh, <laughs> yep. Baggage handler. I'm trying to find one of these one of these sources that's kind of you know authoritative here. Uh, USA.
2: Well, Day- at least at least it wasn't a pilot. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. USA Today. <laughs> How about that? We'll what, what, see what USA Today has to say about this. A 21 year old JetBlue baggage handler flew between New York JFK and Boston after quote unquote mysteriously getting trapped in the flight's cargo
2: hold. Did it really say that? It does. No, it,
0: it, it has mysteriously in quotes. All right. And then various media media outlets reported on Monday. Uh, NBC New York says it learned yesterday, quote, that the worker was in the belly of the plane loading luggage for the flight that left JFK Airport around noon on Saturday en route to Boston. That's when the worker seems to have fallen asleep. He later found himself in Beantown. I hate it when people call Boston Beantown. Uh, after the flight had landed at Logan International <laughs> Airport. Uh, uh, let's see. New York Daily News adds that the man, quote, stunned his tarmac counterpoint parts at Boston's Logan Airport. <laughs> yeah, that would be a surprise. You'd open up the baggage door, and there's a guy in there, right? You know, that was, you know, and probably a frosty guy.
1: You know, with like, you know, I would
2: think he would be chilled, thirsty, and uh, pretty, pretty needing. ornery, actually.
1: Yeah, and needing to hit the laugh.
2: Ew, that too. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Oh,
0: this is good. It says, it says uh, "Let's you know." Um, says that he apparently fell asleep uh, inside the cargo hold, but added that investigators were looking into whether the worker was accidentally locked inside. Uh, the man, quote, panicked when he realized he was no longer on the ground. Yeah. Uh, the paper says the paper says that he phoned he, he phoned jetBlue officials from the air but had to wait while uh wait to be unloaded with huh wait a minute, let me read this here. the paper says that he phoned jetBlue officials from the air but had to wait to be unloaded with
1: the luggage at gate twenty eight of Logan airport police. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude, you're gonna to have to wait like all the other passengers, yeah. so he went uh, from j
0: f k to he went to j f k to Boston. The joke here is that he actually wasn't supposed to be going to Chicago,
1: but he ended up in Boston because
2: sucks, <laughs> to, be sucks to be you, dude, yeah, that's just
1: you know, but maybe the joke is gonna real... be they tried to ship him back, but he had to go by way of Dallas <laughs>
0: yeah. anyways that's just that's you know I don't know i I guess they 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 you you when you when your dog travels with you by air and they put it in the every now and then you well, I guess they drug them up and stuff but they're in down there in the cargo hold right is there a, is it the regular cargo hold is it warm enough down there obviously
1: it is warm enough for yeah it's it's warm enough
0: but but you know from from JFK to Boston you don't get very high uh, um, you know what if you're going Transcon you know and you're uh, at thirty five k and uh, for a Your, long time
1: you're as pressurized as the deck where the passengers are it's all inside the pressure vessel yeah i'm not so worried about
0: oxygen as i am about about cold um
1: but well uh, you're going to have all that luggage to curl up on <laughs> yeah. so you can avoid contact with the aircraft's skin and uh you know what can i tell you uh bundle the Bund- 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 bundle yeah. the frack
2: up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I don't know whether there's a there's a TSA story
1: in here someplace too. But
2: oh, I don't know. I'm we'll... sure the TSA will get involved. Yeah.
0: So, anyways, all right.
1: Oh, I, uh, will they be charging him because he was carrying a screwdriver, a pocket knife, and a <laughs> pair of pliers? What else well, is going on?
2: Yeah. He's probably yeah he's probably lost his um, security clearance. But
1: uh, he Among he may things. be a little foobard right now. Yeah. Yeah. Really, yeah. Really, yeah. 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 What else is going on?
2: Oh, uh, looking forward to spring. <laughs> yeah, really. I've been working my butt off. Um,
0: I know. Well, it's it's you know life's hard being a TV star.
2: Oh man, I wasn't in that. <laughs> what? Oh I, oh, I, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. You saw you might have seen my shoulder. You saw my airplane.
0: Uh yeah, I know. All I know is that you're doing you you well never mind. This is the thing with
2: me. Yeah, I know, I know. You don't, don't even mind want to me. think of it too depressed. Don't mind birds, me. Don't, don't mind me. me.
0: All right, so uh we are optimistic. Are we optimistic that we have a new administrator of the Federal Aviation Administration?
2: Well, we have a new nominee. Yeah. We've had that uh, Randy before. Do we think this one's yeah. gonna work. Um well we haven't had a nominee under the under the uh Obama administration for FIA. Yeah.
1: Right. We got uh, this Friday the,
2: afternoon. Yeah, this is the first time. Randy Babbitt is former president of uh, the Airline Pilots Association. Yeah. And by the way, he's, I
0: should say that President Obama's had such a good track record with his nominees. That, uh,
2: well, um... By, by and large, he's, he's had better
1: luck than, than, yeah. than bad luck. Yeah,
2: yeah on, on the whole, the, the thing that is the biggest problem is just the time it has taken. Um, to get down to this level yeah. uh here we are you know tomorrow's april 1 uh and we're just now nominating an FAA administrator now I, i'm not necessarily criticizing obama in the sense that i'm sure other incoming presidents have taken even longer um, what i guess i'm getting at is um, it t- has taken them that, this long because they've got that much on their plate uh to to come up with babbitt Babbitt is clearly a pilot he is clearly someone who knows um DC and knows uh how to work the hill um he is clearly someone who who i think has the the controllers um uh perhaps uh, their welfare and and overall the systems welfare by making the controllers happy in mind um, that's why you're hearing all this noise about next gen um um, because of the uh, the dollar amounts involved. But um I'm cautiously optimistic, actually. Yeah. At least at least the guy knows um I mean he's a he's an aviation and, and at federal level and a government type. I don't know about his specific policies. I, I think he'll be competent uh but I don't know what his specific policies are going to be though. You know other, I, well, other than tra- in- labor. There was statement.
1: There have been some statements to to the effect of what Mr. Babbitt is uh, is uh, sees his priorities and his his uh, his role in all this. Uh, he went on the record saying that he was going to uh, uh, resolve the the issue of the uh, forced labor agreement that the uh, controllers have been working under since uh, uh, Marion Blakey was administrator, uh, that he's going to uh, start seeing to it that the next gen slash ADSB thing starts to get organized and get some momentum. And he's got a lot of support for speeding up the process here from pretty much every corner. Uh, He, uh, as, as you say, he's clearly a pilot. He was a line pilot for the airlines. Uh, he was a GA pilot before that. Uh, he ran the pilots union. He served on some panels that have been involved in working with the FAA on, on different issues. He's a labor consultant now. Uh, I've met him. I followed his work when he was at ALPA uh, and not taking anything away from him. But I think questions about whether Obama waited to get him because they were having trouble finding somebody that would mesh with the, the, the president's goals. There were two really strong candidates that the administration was seriously interested in. I don't think there was reconciling the two competing constituencies that were yeah, supporting yeah. those two different individuals, both of which uh, were, you know, uh, in their I'm, own ways qualified. And yeah, when one of them was another uh, ALPA guy.
2: Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised that the airlines didn't stomp their feet. Or maybe they did stomp their feet. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would think that uh, Babbitt becoming FAA administrator is like a, uh, a cruel and unusual punishment well, kind of joke over at ATA.
1: That's what made their statement uh, of yeah. support and uh, enthusiasm for Babbitt's appointment. Yeah. You know, I, I think really telling uh, that there's a… There's
2: on, a fix a, somewhere.
1: Well, I think on a lot of issues where aviation is, is homogenous, where it doesn't matter what kind of equipment you fly… That you got to use the same system to get from point A to point B in all kinds of weather. Uh, that there's a much stronger consensus among the different interest groups uh, than there may be on other things like you know past fights over user fees versus excise taxes and so forth. Uh, and I think next gen and uh, ADSB are ones where ATA is on the same page as the rest of us because, by and large, it costs them far more money to have an inefficient air traffic control system, inefficient, antiquated, and costly than it does guys like you and me and most of our listeners. Right. Uh, we're not 100% users of the systems. Uh, the carriers tend to be. Uh, we tend to make our our flights work according to our schedule. They have to make their flights work according to a published schedule. Uh, they try to plan things out to the T, uh, and they're very sensitive to th- what things like fuel and labor costs and delays cost them fuel and labor. I think the number that I saw recently was $41 billion last year mm-hmm. in it, it delay delays. costs, Yeah, uh, which sounds a little anemic to me, but I'm willing to go with it. $41 is still yeah. a lot of bloody money. It's uh, a lot of bloody
2: money. I don't have a better number, so you know, let's work with that one. Yeah.
1: Well, and when you look at that kind of costs in uh, in uh, uh, delays and annual cost and delays, and you throw in what has to be a percentage for GA pilots, uh-huh. I mean, Jeb. I know you and I have both spent time out orbiting some spot that really didn't exist except as a as a <laughs> hold position while we waited our turn to get in. Some that's
2: right, exactly right.
1: And, uh, uh, you know, it It didn't cost us the kind of bucks that it cost to keep a, you know, a 737 in that kind of pattern or even a King Air 90 in that kind of pattern. But it cost us nonetheless. And, yeah. uh, you know, if, if I spend 90 minutes waiting to get in someplace uh, in the great scheme of things, that's costing me 50, 60 bucks in, in fuel and time and and, you know, just general concern on, you know, wear where on the nerves about, I wonder if they're going to get me in here or if I'm going to have to divert somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, you know, seeing some unanimity from ATA on this kind of thing and on Babbitt, I, I think kind of plays to the reality that the, the community at large wants to see this stuff move forward. It's time to stop fiddle fracking around with it and and start to make some decisions that make some sense, that make it worthwhile to all of us and then start to make it happen. So yeah. So you guys are both
0: cautiously optimistic about this guy. I, I,
1: you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm 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 maybe even yeah. a little more than cautiously optimistic. The feedback that I've gotten from a couple of friends that still work at 800 Independence uh by no means stars in their eyes guys.
0: Yeah. In uh, uh, I mean just sort of another pers- they
1: they're, they're kind of welcoming the idea that there's somebody that's going to come in that knows what they're supposed to be doing and knows how things work to a large extent and you know is not there to grind the axe of the airline industry or the GA industry but of aviation in whole. Yeah. So
0: just another perspective here and it is uh Uh, In a, uh, sort of basically an opinion piece uh, on uh, AvWeb Insider, uh, aviation journalist uh, Russ Uh Niles uh, does a brief, a short piece where the headline, Is Babbitt Good for GA? And I'll just Uh just pull one quote here. He writes, uh, Obama has been demonstrably and unapologetically disdainful." Of general aviation in the early days of his presidency, uh, he goes on to write, "I think Obama has embarked on a softening up campaign to get the country ready for some legislation that will raise raise a huge ruckus among the GA community." And you know, we've we've talked about this, you know, the the fact that the uh, the Obama administration put user fees in this uh, in this uh, uh-huh. budget roadmap uh, for a few years down the ro- down the road, and we sort of we sort of I don't know, I guess d- dismissed it, or we kind of said we think it's just a a strategy, and it's not really intended. But what do you think about what Russ writes here? Is he... is?
2: I think, uh, I think he's um, Russ overestimating. Russ is a co of
0: yours, so I sh- we should, you know, well, kind of, not is put you on in, the spot, in, in,
2: but... Yeah, well, that's a little bit on the spot. Russ is sometimes a boss also.
0: <laughs> okay. Depends
2: on the project. All right. Okay? But um, I think he's being... Um, Uh, a little bit too paranoid, I won't say paranoid, that's not the right word, I think he's being a little bit too alarmist. Clearly there's um, you know, uh, it's a target rich environment. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of things that uh, the government could do to aviate, to general aviation specifically. Uh, It could be user fees, it could be security it could be Ju- taxation it could, it could be fuel it could be a lot of different things um i don't know what russ specifically has in mind is is part of the answer um but uh i i am not nearly as uh um
0: concerned
2: disdain disdain concern very good uh um concerned as russ is mm-hmm. um I, I think to be honest I don't think GA is even on the radar screen at the White House right now. Okay.
1: Well, I, I don't whether, think aviation generals on there.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's on the radar screen at all. I think if there is something that the Obama administration does um, that that would impact general aviation, it would be um, as a consequence of some other action, not even the remotely uh, uh, intended uh, or targeting GA. But yeah. I, what what do I know? I, ju- I think it's just not on the radar screen. Uh, maybe in another year or so, um, we might get some some um, uh, wave band. Or some, I'm sorry, some bandwidth from the White House or OMB. But I don't think it's going to happen for at well, least we d- that. Well, we time.
1: need we need two things to happen now, no exception, and completely unrelated to. Is that Jack? No, it's not me. Must be Jeb.
0: Yeah, Jeb disappeared. Oh,
1: he, he got quiet. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. Could, could, uh, finish your thought here, and we got to move on. Yeah, I was going to say, we need, two thing, we need to have two things happen here, regardless of other theories or expectations or worries, paranoias, or concerns. Uh, we need an FAA administrator confirmed, mm-hmm. and Babbitt looks like a good fit. And then we need the FAA reauthorization bill passed so that we've got road roadmap that knows where the money's going to come from, how much money there's going to be, so that the folks at the FAA can start to execute what we need to have happen, which is the transition to ADS-B and the implementation of next-gen. I also know, and we've seen this in other reports, that, you know, as usual, the Office of Management and Budget, when it was quoting some budget proposal numbers and some blue sky stuff, it mentioned, you know, uh, some of the source money being user fees and kind of threw everybody into a tizzy. Uh, The second piece of hard news is that we've learned recently that the decline in air traffic that is specifically in planements by the airlines and their pullback in, in frequencies and routes and actually the number of airplanes they operate has resulted in a reduction in revenue to the airport and airways trust funds coming from the airline industry. That's going to put a squeeze on money that's available for some of the programs that need to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not inconceivable to me, and I haven't read this. This is just strictly my blue sky, but it just enough years in Washington to be creative this way. It's not inconceivable to me that there could be some kind of customer fee or user fee on the horizon in aviation, but that that be a way that – the federal government can generate the kind of revenue it needs for the trust fund from the airline passengers pocket by changing it from a percentage fee on the ticket cost to a segment fee that's based on the mileage that all the airlines know. Uh, It doesn't have to involve any kind of billing, or record-keeping. When the airline books you for a flight of X number of miles, they hit you up for a flight segment fee of Y number of dollars based on the X number of miles. And they add that to the ticket price, and that shows up like the excise tax does now. Uh, The benefit of that is that the revenue generated for the trust fund is not dependent on the rise and fall in airfares. And as long as passenger demand keeps going down, airfares are not going to come up and start to produce the kind of revenue that they were a few years ago, when we already knew we needed all that money for next gen and ADSB. So it's conceivable okay, to me back. that that could be the proposal coming along, and it have nothing to do with changing how GA pays its fair share.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm back. Okay
1: uh we got we got we're reaching the end of our allotted time
0: here so we gotta wrap this thing. seriously I, yeah we're, oh thank, this is a, thank you know, goodness we're being terse tonight we're being terse tonight i uh, oh, okay. m- m- uh the gobosh is scheduled to come out of maintenance uh maybe as early as uh, friday but it's uh hopefully over the weekend so i'm gonna go flying i hope hopefully the weather will good will, for you will, will cooperate but uh so uh, how about you guys any flying in the future
2: uh, I gotta get mine out of the shop soon. Hopefully by the end of the week. Yeah. Um, if so, I'll fly over the weekend for sure. Yeah. I need to go to t- I need to go to Georgia. Yep. Um, what I need to do is drive a truck pulling. Uh, three or four motorcycles up there, leave them, and, and get a couple more <laughs> and bring them back. <laughs> it's
1: complicated uh, yeah. I'm telling you, man, you should be flying a caravan, I need to... not a debonair. <laughs> yeah. I, I, need
2: a, I, I need a caravan, no question about it. That or a you know, C-130. Or, yeah. Yeah. I don't.
1: Well, so. a caravan, you'd get up there and back at about the same speed, carry five times as much, and only burn three times as much fuel. Well, uh,
0: shout-outs. You got anything?
1: Shout-outs. Uh, we're
0: going to Sun uh. and Fun. It's uh, it's coming up fast. Uh, as we speak, it's about three weeks away, and uh, as I've been saying uh, uh, for a couple weeks now, uh, we're going to be doing two episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace while we're down there, one on uh, on uh, Tuesday. I'm doing this from my, head, uh, from my memory. I hope I don't get this wrong. We're doing it one on Tuesday afternoon after the Daily Air Show, and one on Sunday morning at around 9.30 a.m. We'll be out on the deck of Sun and Fun Radio, and it uh, should be a lot of fun. We're also going to be joined by a whole bunch of our our aviation Podcasting brethren who are also going to be doing episodes of their podcasts throughout the week. Uh, Jason Miller from Finer Points will be there. Uh, uh, Dave and Will from uh, Pilot's Flight Podlog will be there. Uh, Steve Tupper from Airspeed will be there, and a whole bunch of them and a whole bunch of others will be there for uh, the first Sun and Fun gathering of the aviation podcasters on Friday evening. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and of course, there's Sun and Fun. You know, it's not just podcasting. There's Sun and Fun. Dave's going to get a ride in the uh, in that uh, incredibly expensive. Expensive uh, uh, cub, LSA cub, and uh, and uh, I'm going to continue my effort to get a ride in an ultralight, but we'll see how that goes. And uh, it should be, it, it will be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, what else? Uh, you guys got anything? Are we done? Just a real quick uh, one. I, uh, I guess the we're the doing last. You're done. Yeah,
1: hang on. Go ahead, Dave. The last ever, at least as things plan now. Annual biplane expo in Bartlesville, Oklahoma is coming up in June. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a bittersweet end to what's been a truly unique, distinct, uh, grassroots American event. Uh, I'm sorry to see it. Uh, I was just trying to find a link about it and I have, haven't found one yet, but uh, you Google it on your own, folks. But if you happen to have the opportunity to be, I think it's about the first weekend in June we'll track Uh, it down we'll track it down and put it in the show notes track it down but it's something to put on your calendar I think it's around the 4th 5th and 6th of of June this year and it's going to be the last one they have a biplane museum there Bartlesville Oklahoma is one of the birthplaces of business aviation and uh, uh, they put together really quite a fun little event so something to think about as you're Prepping
0: for spring flying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it is a sad. That's that's why I'm, people people give me a hard time because sometimes I I sound like I'm being dismissive dismissive of something that you know sort of sort of a uh, uh, passive aggressive of something that one of you guys says. Um, no. No. This, and, I, I, well, and sometimes I am. All right. Sometimes I am. But in this particular case, <laughs> in this particular case, it's it's that bittersweet thing. Um, it's kind of sad that that event is going away. And uh, so, anyways. Uh, Jeb, you got anything?
2: No, I don't um, okay. um just uh, a long day and, and uh yeah. I don't have a full plate right now. Okay. So. Well
0: it's good talking with you guys and uh As always we'll get together always. sometime next week and do it again and uh uh hopefully there will been some flying in the meantime.
2: Yeah, have have your girl call my girl and uh we'll work out something.
1: <laughs> I I only wish. I only wish.
2: <laughs> I was David. just gonna
1: say Jack and a girl. Wow. Okay. Uh, 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 oh. Uh, oh, a challenge oh, man. There we go all I right. want
2: anywhere in that direction
0: ah, Alright, we're going to have to go I'll talk
1: to you boys later on See ya Bye, Bye. Go fly because time spent flying's not subtracted from your lifespan Girl or not
2: <laughs> <Okay>. TTF
1: <laughs> And now we're done